The Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is the Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to episode 100 of Ensemble Advice South Africa. I've been saving this guest for a really long time. This is a a person that committed right at the beginning, but uh, somehow life didn't work out. And my friend Andy Hart, I'm so glad to have you here for a conversation about all things life, financial planning and juggling a million balls at once. Yeah, no, um, very pleased to be here. So yeah, looking forward to this. Uh, I uh, I run a podcast, so I'm uh, I'm normally the other side of the mic. So this will be uh, interesting, getting a bit of my uh, bit of my own medicine. Yeah, I should have gone back to all the difficult questions you've asked your guests over there over the years. <laughs> uh, but uh, the idea with this is is sort of a conversation where advisors can listen in to say, "Hey, I'm struggling with the same thing." And here's two guys that maybe have given some of it a stab and we can share a little bit of what's worked and what hasn't worked. You have multiple projects going on at the moment. Before we get to your side gigs, tell me a bit about Maven Advisor and the work you do for your clients. Like you're very specific with who you work with and how did you get to that niche? Um, Yeah, so I run Maven Advisor, which is a UK regulated financial advice firm. Um. Uh, I think I launched it in 2017, but I've always been a sort of self-employed advisor. Uh, it's a solo practice, solo advisor. Um, I've got a sort of team that helped me sort of outsourced. Um, we've got a pretty strict sort of investment proposition, generally. Uh, Vanguard Dimensional, sort of index funds, you know, global uh, global equities, as, as it were, being the, the, the growth engine. Financial planning led uh, and sort of behavioral coaching as well. So... That's the sort of uh, three services that we offer. Um, I'm basically building it to sort of be 50 families and 50 million AUM. Uh, and I'm sort of uh, on track at the moment. I probably need to take on about another mm, 10 or 12 families. And then that business will sort of just uh, be uh, complete, as it were. Uh, uh, however, who knows? Once you uh, get to a destination, you uh, decide to change the goalpost. But yeah, that's uh, that's that business. And that's the reason why all the other businesses... Are, have been set up. You know, I'm a practicing advisor. Um, you know, I've got the uh, advisor voice. Um, and then, yeah, there's a, a couple of other businesses that I've uh, set up as well. So, yeah, I suppose I look after sort of clients on the approach to retirement. 
I think my average ongoing, uh, sorry, average age of an ongoing client now is 55. Uh, it used to be 61, but I brought it down. Um, you know, the perfect clients to be taken on are sort of 50 year old business owners that are motivated and have got, you know, 120 months left to fix this problem called retirement. Um, yeah, I suppose over the years, I've just shrunk my circle of competence. There's so much shiny new things in this business. Uh, and at first, you have to learn everything. You know, that's the idea, you know, learn, learn, learn. And then to become a real expert, you have to unlearn. And that is the the real challenge. Uh, and there's so much financial trash out there that people, you know, devise, uh, you know, to make themselves wealthy. Um, and a lot of it is uh, not needed for uh, our clients. As I say, just bog standard index global equity funds are going to be the growth engine that pretty much everybody needs. Um, but then obviously, it's asset allocation that's important. And it's them not doing, you know, the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Hence, you know, us as financial advisors need to, you know, hold their hands through all, all market cycles and all life transitions. And you mentioned there, Maven Advisors, the reason you do this and the engine behind it. Is that feeding the rest of your projects financially or the rest of your projects feeding clients into your business? Kind of a bit of a symbiosis. Yeah, I don't quite know. I mean, like most things, it wasn't really you know, a hardcore strategy in the beginning. Um, maybe a bit of a sort of background. I mean, I, I did a law degree at university um, that was very useful. Um, I touch upon quite a lot of the stuff that I learned then, you know, in my day job now. I then didn't want to become a lawyer. I thought uh, I have to do another sort of couple of years training, then a training contract. I, th- I thought by the time I'm about 30, I'll, I'll, I'll be earning sort of real money. So I thought it's just too long. So I thought I just need to go and get a job. So I went to get a job at 22. I was an estate agent for a year, just literally the first job that would have me. Um, and then I was selling houses and I thought that was quite interesting, quite useful and, you know, quite, quite, quite a fun job. And then I was interested in how people finance buying these houses because they, they look like sort of normal uh, people <laughs> buying very expensive houses. And I was thinking, how are they financing this? Um, you know, what's the mechanics behind it? I didn't really know anything about mortgages. Then, then I became fascinated with the mortgage market. Uh, and then I became a mortgage broker. Uh, and then whilst I was a mortgage broker, I then decided that I want to become a financial advisor and, you know, help people with investments. So that's my sort of um, journey into it. Uh, I've been self-employed since 24. Um, I'm 42 now. So I've been 18 years cracking away at this uh, self-employed um, uh, sort of uh, solopreneur type journey. Um, and it's obviously been uh, tough at times, you know, high highs, low lows. Um, what I mean is Maven Advisors is the reason why everything else exists. So, so my journey was sort of uh, a financial advisor. Um, I used to work at um, uh, another firm. Uh, I then was using Voyant financial planning software. So Voyant is a company um, coming out of um, Austin in uh, America. Uh, I love technology and I love financial planning. So when Voyant came into my life, it was just like, you know, the greatest day ever. Um, and I was just training advisors for free. Um, you know, yeah, I come and sit with you for a couple of hours and show you how to use the software. And that went on for a while. And, you know, as I say, I was just doing it because um, I loved it. And then one advisor said, why don't you charge us for this? You know, we charge our clients for various things that we do. Why don't you charge us? I said, that's a great idea. I'll send you an invoice. He said, no, no, no don't charge me. You charge the other guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> Typ- typical uh, Charge me minus the cost of the idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll take a cut of the future <laughs> revenue. Um, so then I thought, okay, right, how does this work? And then I basically became a consultant uh, and I was training financial advisors specifically on Voyant financial planning software. But then it was wider than that because you can't train someone financial planning software without you know, sort of uh, going through all of the pieces of the financial planning process. So I became a bit more of a wider consultant, let's call it a financial planning consultant, but um, 
specifically using the software Voyant. Uh, and then again, it just happened by accident. I thought, well, you know, I'm using this software called Voyant. I've just got, I've got, I've got to set up a business because I've got to invoice people. What should I call myself? I'll call myself the Voyantist. Um, and that was it really. So I went all in on Voyant software. I didn't want to call myself, you know, the cash flow king or the financial planning, you know, whatever. I just went all in on, uh, Voyant software. So I, I launched, uh, the Voyantist and, and that's, um, been doing that for about 10 years and I've got another business on the back of that called Voyant Mastery which is a, an online um, subscription sort of video training uh, membership site um, that's been a bit of a project um, and then I suppose the final sort of uh, brand uh, uh, is humans under management that's now um, how we became friends obviously um, you've spoken at at Hum SA um, we do two conferences a year one in London one in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I've done a couple in uh, Dublin as well. Um, and that's a play on words, obviously. It's called humans under management. We all know about assets under management, but you know, managing assets is easy. It's the owners of the assets that all of your professional problems come from. Um, and it's, yeah, a play on words, humans under management. And now it's sort of a sort of content marketing, uh, company, um, where we, um, uh, financial advisors subscribe we've got um about 200 members now uh from 11 different countries uh, and we're continually building out the product um we're just trying to help financial advisors and give them as much collateral as, as they can to have better karma clients basically um through uh marketing and communication um and that's it and then the final other sort of sort of project i'm up to is called trap uh it stands for the real advisor podcast it's a video youtube podcast that we do every fortnight me and three other practicing financial advisors um and that's it so yeah i live sleep and breathe personal finance and you know i'm uh, i say i'm in the money business i want to learn everything i can about the money business uh obviously i specifically earn my money through you know financial planning and investments but i want to know everything about the money business um yeah and i wake up every day and I'm immersed in it. Um, I've got, as I say, different businesses and different logos and different email addresses, but it's all the same thing for me. You know, I'm either talking to a financial advisor, I'm helping a client, I'm producing a bit of content. So yeah, it's just all around the, yeah, the, uh, the money business and specifically around, yeah, investments and uh, financial planning. Andy, these things run so parallel and so close together. How difficult is it for you to switch gears into different businesses? Because they run so closely, I would imagine that that's relatively easy. Or do you find it that it's a different mindset when talking to advisors versus clients versus software providers? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the classic, uh, the grass is always greener, I suppose. It's like some people look at me and think, wow, it's brilliant. He's got like three different businesses, multiple streams of income. I look at someone with one business and think you're so lucky to just have one business, one zero accounts, like one set of accounts, one business bank account. I've got, I run two VAT registered businesses um, and obviously one is regulated. So it is a bit of a challenge. I've got one employee and then I've got a team of sort of 12 outsourced people. Um, so again, if you find some A player outsourced um, team members, like they are worth their weight. Um, and yeah, I've honed that over the years. As I say, I've been self-employed for 18 years. So it is all about having a great team. So I've got uh, an amazing assistant in uh, Maven Advisor, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Pierre. He's sort of um, the, the co-founder, let's say, of um, Humans Under Management Premium. So yeah, uh, yeah, we do a, a lot of stuff together. So yeah, just find 
you know, good team members. I mean, first of all, you should outsource to technology. You know, for example, Calendly, yeah. it's like mind-blowing. Um, you know, Zoom, all this sort of stuff. So first port of call is, can I find a tech solution that's going to save me time, um, make me more efficient, make me more productive, et cetera? If you can't, then obviously the next step is outsource to a human. Uh, and then the th- third step is uh, is employ someone. So it depends on what type of business you're, you're, you're trying to, to build. Um, between my three businesses, I've got about 430 ongoing clients that are paying me, um, you know, monthly or annually. Uh, that's obviously financial advice clients. That's training clients at Voyant, uh, on the Voyantist stuff. And then that's, uh, humans under management premium and a few other, uh, sort of, sort of, uh, coaching clients and various other things. So yeah, it's quite a, uh, lot to deal with. But I think I'm at the position where I can sort of scale up to probably about a thousand based on the current team, the current setup and the current sort of, um, business offerings so yeah it's all fun and games uh, it beats working uh, you know imagine if we had a real job um <laughs> it would be uh, uh, a little bit more challenging um yeah i mean recently I've, I've moved house so i've been doing sort of uh builder work and jet washing and various other things so um yeah i'll stick to the uh, professional services um thank you very much it's uh yeah quite uh lucratively paid uh, uh and, and not too challenging uh you know i sort of say um you know i think hard for a living you know that's uh that's the the key thing really you're yeah, in the ideas business aren't we packaging ideas pitching ideas um you know and yeah so um yeah all good yeah i've heard someone say they pay me for what i know not for what i do which is exactly. such an interesting way right of just putting in more effort i want to yeah. ask you the the kind of credential route around financial planners, right? So obtaining a CFP designation, a chartered, is that something you've ever considered? Have you gone down that path and decided not to? Um, it seems like a piece that is that is not there that I would have expected it to be there from what, what I'm seeing. So tell me a little I mean, bit more about that. I must have built more financial plans than pretty much any financial planner in the world probably um i certainly probably trained more financial advisors than as i say there'd be only a handful of other people i i've sort of said controversially i'm proudly non-chartered hiding behind exams is um you know there's lots of cfps chartered that you know are probably not that good with clients um, so no, I'm uh, I'm qualified up to the level that I need to be. I think I'm two exams away from chartered. But again, if someone's looking for a financial advisor and that's specifically what they're looking for, then probably to me that's probably a red flag from that client. You know, who knows what else they're going to be uh, requesting down the line. Um, so no, I haven't done the CFP. I've trained and helped lots of people submit their CFPs, um, but I've not done it myself. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I- I'm aware of the designation, and obviously it's it's. It's, it's decent. Uh, yeah, our sort of main one now in the UK is, is chartered. Um, I think it's called a chartered wealth manager. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, but when regulation forces me to do it, then I will, I will, I will happily do it. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I'm not, I'm not, I think I've done, I don't know how many exams I've done. I think I've done about 15 exams. Um, but yeah. Makes sense. It almost like it gets you that foot in the door if you're looking for a good job, right? But the two things that you never want to be addicted to is cocaine and a paycheck. Yep. And you've kind of figured out that recipe to say, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this myself. I'm, I'm going to figure out a different path or path that's unique to me, which is wonderful. I mean, that's, it's always interesting to me to see how this evolved. And the piece that stands out is how much you've taken away. How difficult is it for you to say no early on to say, well, I'm going to explore this, but this is my, this is my kind of kill criteria. 
Um, well, yeah, I, I, part of your first point, yeah, I'm sort of um, unemployable, obviously, as most entrepreneur characters are. Uh, it's not saying I can't work well in a team, but I just, you know, some managers just telling me what to do and just, you know, do my head. And I think I had a job for about 18 months and thank thank the Lord I um, set up on my own at, uh, at age 24. Yeah, so I'm uh, unemployable, which is great, which means then you need to carve your own path out. Um, at the moment, I'm pretty much at business capacity. Like, I don't really need to take on any, any new projects. It's just fine tuning exactly, um, what, what I'm doing. Um, I also run a podcast called Maven Money. Uh, you're, you're a hundredth show, which is obviously fantastic. Uh, I've got my 300th show coming up and it's just, it's relentless, obviously. The great thing about weekly podcasts is the weekly podcast. The terrible thing about a weekly podcast is it's a weekly podcast. It's relentless. Um, but I've, I've, I'm just in sort of autopilot mode with just creating content. Um, you know, some podcasts that I look back and I think, how, the, like, I forgot, totally forgotten putting it together. It'd be like half an hour worth of sort of, sort of a whole subject area. Sometimes I have to listen back to my own podcast to sort of, uh, refresh my memory about a certain sort of financial element of something which is a bit weird yeah i feel like my brain's full at the moment it's sort of like one in one out um i don't know if that's maybe my age anyway i feel the same right there's only a certain capacity and when when you get onto a topic and you say oh i'm gonna go deeper into this like looking back what is the 300th episode like what has changed in the way of your thinking because you're very specific with the words you use like i can hear that and i've seen that again for people where they have crafted specifically of what they say that it's not rehearsed but it's well thought through like is is that a function of the podcast or was that something that you were inherently born with um yeah i think i'm quite good at um explaining complex ideas quite simply um it just naturally happened it's not as if there's any sort of strategic plan with it um i mean public speaking is something that i've worked at over the years you know i've sort of paid consultants i've i went through the toastmasters sort of um course um and it is very challenging um but i suppose i've got better and better at it obviously um running conferences um yeah uh, that's the skill, isn't it? Trying to explain relatively complicated concepts in a simple way. Um, I don't quite know what's changed. I mean, 300 episodes, it's just madness. I, I, I think about 75 are probably interviews. So most of them are solo shows. Uh, you know, and I just think of an idea and then it just sort of sits with me for a while and then I sort of make some bullet point notes and then sort of record it. Um, I suppose advisors listening to this, yeah, it is all about shipping. Um, which is a sort of Seth Godin term. Uh, I recommend you, if you want to get, you know, build brands and understand marketing, Seth Godin is, is the guy. Um, he's come out with about 30 books. Um, I must have read at least 10 or 15 of them. Uh, the dip, purple cow, linchpin, all marketeers alive. There's lo- loads of them. Um, yeah, definitely read. So it, he's had the biggest impact on me in terms of shipping ideas. Um, and there's never a perfect time to launch new projects, side projects. You've just got to, I suppose, do it, haven't you? And you should be somewhat embarrassed of your early content, you know, because if you, um, are always waiting for perfection, you're probably going to launch too, too late. Um, and it's just trying new things, isn't it? Um, 
Yeah, so I, I recommend Seth Godin. The person that's had the biggest impact on me professionally is Nick Murray. Um, so Nick Murray is an advisor to advisors. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a bold statement, but he's completely changed my entire life, to be fair, not just business life. He just made me, you know, rise to a completely different level and just think about things in a completely different way. So he's a, a guy that lives in Brooklyn. I think he's about 75. He's 25 years as a financial advisor and 25 years advising advisors. Um, a lot of people subscribe to his newsletter, um, which I recommend that you do. I think it's about 300 bucks a year. Um, and his content is, um, is, is amazing. Um, yeah, so he's had the biggest impact on me, um, professionally. Um, and then as I say, uh, yeah, Seth Godin as well. So, so yeah. Can I ask you around Nick? You, you mentioned that he's had the biggest impact. Was that kind of one-on-one sessions with him or is that working through his newsletter content? Like what, what did that engagement look like? Was it something more formal? Yeah. So he is, uh, I'd, I'd somewhat call him a friend now. I don't think he, he, he might echo that. Um, so I've, uh, I think I've been consuming his content for, I don't know, maybe about seven or eight years. Uh, and I've sort of, I don't know, somewhat popularized his content in the UK. Um, so his books are amazing. Uh, I think I read The Behavioral Investment Counselor first, which is uh, a fantastic book. The Excellent Investment Advisor is also a great book. I mean, I'm reading a book now of his blog articles from I think 1993 so it's just one book with sort of 20 articles in 1993 and there's still an enormous amount of con- um, you know valuable content in the blogs that he wrote in 1993 his content is somewhat evergreen um, so it's not you know specific to 1993 it's all the principles and practices that we as financial advisors just bang on about with our clients um so yeah i, I read his books and i was reading his newsletter then i went to new york to his conference uh he's come to the uk a couple of times uh, when he came to the uk i had uh, I, sat, I was lucky to sat next to him and have dinner uh, uh that was probably the scariest moment of my, my life i had to do a, a say a few words um for nick murray um after after a meal we had in london um and the joke was uh, we, we bought you a gift, Nick. Um, you know, we wanted to buy you something that, you know, that you, that you did, that you didn't have already. Uh, and then uh, the joke was, uh, I, I bought you a bond fund. Um, <laughs> but no, we, we had a, like a, like a rare map of London or something. It was, uh, yeah, quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, he's just had a, a huge impact on me. And I know that's sort of, uh, the case for a lot of other, you know, advisors. It's like someone that you resonate with and you can actually see the impact in your life. How do you balance that consumption of content versus creation? Because I, I find for myself, it's either one of two modes. It's either I get to like, okay, now I'm in research mode and now I'm in production mode. Do you balance the two or does it just kind of gel together more easily? Good question. I mean, we are inundated with information at the moment, aren't we? Um, with obviously podcasts, stuff on YouTube books, newsletters, subscriptions. Yeah, I suppose that is the challenge, isn't it? How you curate the information that you consume. Um, I don't consume as much as I did in the past, I don't think. I generally listen to various different podcasts. Uh, I obviously um, listen to books on Audible, which probably means I'm not consuming them as deeply as I did when I used to read Dusty Books. I still try and read dusty books every so often. Um, but again, just the, the time's not really, uh, available. Um, yeah, that is the challenge, uh, what to consume. Um, 
so yeah, I do consume the Nick Meyer newsletter every single month. Um, and various other, as I say, podcasts I listen to and, uh, and stuff. Um, how do you find your uh, ability to sort of curate the information that you consume? I think I'm going to answer that by looking back to my early days as an advisor. And I looked up to my now business partner, Morris, and I thought like, how did you consume so much information? And and the trick is you get to a point where it's maintenance mode, where you have that foundation where, yeah. oh, this idea is similar to that thing and now it fits yeah. in. So now what I'm trying to do is to find something that doesn't fit in the traditional mold and say, oh, wow, here's something that actually breaks this previous idea of what I what I thought about. Well, I, I think the other thing is, well, do you remember when we first went to conferences when we were fresh to this business? I'd literally write 12 pages of notes like maybe even more like just everything seemed like useful if i go to a conference now and i write down one thing to do like that's been a good day um you know whoa god i didn't think about that um the other thing with conferences it's mainly not what they're saying but your brain goes off on another you know sort of tangent you know you're you're sitting there talking about uh blue cars and then you thought of an idea about red cars you know you, you know what i mean it's it's it, it's the it's the ideas that sort of relay off them um so, yeah, I suppose we have consumed a lot. Um, and younger advisors, it is all about consuming information. Um, you know, learn as much as you can. But then the real skill is obviously unlearning. Um, that's where the sort of mastery comes in. Um, I've, I'm generally tr- trying to shrink my circle of competence all the time with clients. You know, again, I know the right thing that they need to do. I know the right financial prescription for them. Uh, I mean, yes, we're going to sit down and listen to their symptoms, but then we know what the financial prescription is, don't we? You know, invest just about an uncomfortable amount every single month, predominantly in global equities, control your tax, don't do anything silly, the markets are unpredictable, you know, just the same sort of, you know, we're almost on autopilot with our clients, which is not a bad thing. We haven't got to like reinvent the wheel every time we sit down with the client. Um, you know, the financial prescription is pretty much set before they sit down in the chair. I mean, yes, they're going to now tell us, you know, their individual pieces of their lives and their specific, you know, challenges and transitions. But when we write that financial prescription, it's something we've written, you know, many, many times before. Um, you know, this whole sort of fallacy about tailored and specific advice. Yes. Of course, all of our clients are not exactly the same. But as I say, the financial prescription is very similar. Um, you know, insure yourself against bad surprises, you know, take out the right, you know, insurance. Uh, and, you know, invest every single month, pay yourself first, you know, all that sort of stuff. Be yeah, patient, disciplined. Principles. Yeah. So mm. a lot of the principles and practices, yeah, the foundational principles are, are pretty much set in this game. It just depends on how quickly you can sort of get there. Um, the apprenticeship phase is quite long in the financial advisor business. I think it's probably a decade, um, which is good, you know, because once you've th- through your apprenticeship phase, um, you know, as someone said to me, the key to being successful in this business is being in this business. Um, so your first year is going to be the worst. Second year is going to get slightly better. Uh, my, my total turnover of my first 24 months as a financial advisor was £12,000. Um that's basically nothing. Uh, if I minus expense, so I basically lost money for the first two years. Um, and now I sort of generate, you know, way over that per week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just mentioning this because you, you, you know, the, the more successful you are in this business, the, the, the earnings potential is, is technically unlimited. Um, certainly 
um, you, you know, you don't even need to have any degrees to become a financial advisor. So it's one of the still one of the very lucrative professions that don't require too much, um, you know, too much entry. But the apprenticeship stage, I just say, is probably about ten years. You might be able to short circuit that. But you know, on on the, once you're through your apprenticeship stage, like you sit down with any client, you're confident enough to know sort of what the answers are and then how to sort of direct them forward. Um, so yeah, I'd, uh, I, yeah, it's quite a long apprenticeship phase in this business. Andy, how did you engineer your apprenticeship phase? Because you know, at the age of twenty four, going solo, like I'm assuming you you didn't have a mentor looking up to. Was this through consuming Nick Murray's work and and the other greats of the world? Well, I became a, a mortgage broker during the sort of uh, boom property times in in the UK and London. So I didn't really overthink it. I was sort of just sort of busy from when I started really uh, and then obviously it's you know connections and people and who you know and professional introducers and stuff like that so being a mortgage insurance advisor um, is obviously a, a stepping stone to then becoming a financial advisor I mean everyone's got their own different paths of doing it I mean generally these days you become like an administrator at a firm you then sort of become a report writer maybe and then you become a trainee financial advisor and then obviously a you know a senior advisor or whatever you want to call it but but you can do it in a shorter time. I think people are doing it in a, in a bit of a quicker time. And obviously, there's exams to do along the way. I I, I don't know. Just I've just always just just got on with it, I suppose. Um, but been hugely interested in it and always wanting to learn more and always sort of meeting people that are further along 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 the line. Um, yeah, reach out to people. I mean, it's a very giving profession. Try not send cold emails. They're just, you know, it's, it's just uh, low friction to do that these days. You know, call people up um, and have a couple of touch points with people. You know, interact with them on LinkedIn, send them an email, call them up rather than just send one cold email and expect to get something from it. Um, but yeah, we're a very giving profession. Um, we don't really have any competitors. You know, there's enough clients, as Nick Murray says. You know, wealthy clients are falling out of the trees. Um, you know, they're everywhere. Um, you just need to, you just need to go and get them. Um, yeah. So yeah. I want to shift gears to talk a bit about Hum. And I remember sitting in a training session where Rob McDonald came back and he said, guys, I've just been to the UK and this is what I experienced. And, and he attended uh, the London version of Hum. And he made a commitment saying, I think we're going to bring this to South Africa. Like, how did that journey happen? Was it one of those things where, oh, here's an opportunity and you have the right people and the right team and let's build it out? Or talk me through the birth of Hum South Africa. Yeah, so uh, humans under management is obviously a play on words. We all know about assets under management. You know, it's never really a good business story that starts with, uh, I just checked to see if the domain was available. And obviously it was, you know, no no idiot's going to register humans under management. It's just a bit of a weird name. Obviously, people in the business know it. So originally, I was going to just, um, I was going to write a book uh, called Humans Under Management. Uh, and then I thought, um, and then a couple of people in the UK were doing independent conferences. This is 2017, I believe. Uh, I did my first one. I think it was 140 people in London. Um, we sold out, um, yeah, 140. Uh, and then it just progressed from there um the conference business is a tough business um i'll just break it down uh, briefly uh, so first of all you've got to book speakers so you've got to know a lot of people and have you know connections with people and obviously a lot of the time you, you're looking for mates rates you know their their official quoted fee is you know 10k and you're sort of groveling to them and saying can you please do it for 
a little bit less. It's just you know little little old me independent sort of brand as such. So so uh, I book about twenty five speakers a year. So I've booked over probably about one hundred and fifty speakers now since uh, Hums launched. You've then got to sell tickets um, to financial advisors, which is obviously marketing, and then you've got to worry about pricing and and all the other stuff that goes along with that. Uh, then you've got to know exhibitors, so that's large companies that can um, you know come and sponsor, and you know that that's how it functions. If you didn't have exhibitors, uh, it's a very very uh, expensive business, the conference business. So then you've got to, you've got to know companies and people high up in companies that can make decisions, and then you've got to have sort of organisational skills in terms of how we're actually going to put this on. Uh, so it's a conference that I would want to attend. Um, we generally don't have any panel debates. Every single speaker gets 30 minutes um, and it starts at a nice time and ends at a nice time. Uh, and there's one track. So it's not three different tracks. So you've got track A, track B, track C. They all finish at different times. They're all confusing. Did you see that? I didn't see that. No. So I just want one track. Um, other people, fine. They might want to do two or three tracks. Um, Yes, we did it in London, then we did it in Dublin. Uh, and then Pierre contacted me, uh, obviously a good friend of ours, Pierre Talyard. Um, and then Rob McDonald, obviously, is a very well-connected uh, consultant. So it's basically me, Rob, and Pierre, who sort of are the uh, organizers of uh, Hum South Africa. And we do it in the Alan Gray Auditorium, which is a lovely place. Um, the same format, so I help them with, um, obviously, uh, the logistics and booking speakers. And we've got a speaker coach, Carrie, um, who um, I'm sure you've worked with uh, in the past. So she helps all the speakers to be the best they can on the day. Um, yeah, and we just try and, yeah, as I say, put on a, a, a great conference. Uh, and, yeah, that's it, really. I think South Africa is going to be our fourth in South Africa um, with obviously a, a couple of COVIDs in the middle um, yeah and it's uh, September the I can't 19th? remember the date yeah. 21st maybe or 19th let me have a very I think it's the 19th very ever quick look, oh, somewhere, somewhere next month if you don't have your ticket and you're listening to this I have some bad news I think it's sold out Andy I I think there's a few tickets left. Um, yeah, we um, can twist someone's arm and maybe see if uh, yeah, exactly they can, they can bring yeah, in another we're, seat. We're but it's 200 absolutely people, so. one of those things where, like, yes, you have to fork out a bit of money, and most of the, the the presentations that you get to attend, you don't have to pay. But guess what? They are primarily sales events, right? These yes. Are, are people trying to convince you to distribute these products? Yeah. And that's something that took me a long time. To realize, because it's just so well hidden. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like this is this is completely different. Yes, uh, and it's mainly around behavioral financial advice, which I think's the the good stuff. So I used to go to conferences like everybody, and there'd be ten speakers. Um, nine of them will be talking about investments, which I call lying from the stage, and one of them would be talking about marketing or behavioral finance, and I think. That was the best talk of the day by a mile. So why don't we have the whole day, the good stuff, and a tiny sprinkling of the investment stuff? Um, so I sort of flipped the whole format. So yeah, it is all around um, psychology of money, behavioral um, aspects of money, um, behavioral economics, all of the sort of, as I say, I, th I think the good stuff. Um, and yeah, we have stuff on leadership, on management, on marketing, yeah, just a whole different sprinkle. And as I say, each speaker has only got half an hour. So, I mean, there's nothing worse than a speaker coming on and you think, God, this is going to be terrible and it's just painful. And then you look at the program and you've got an hour of it. You think, Jesus Christ. 
if you it, like you know if someone comes on you think oh god this is going to be bad and then you look down and you go oh thank god they've only got half an hour and they're, they're already 10 minutes into it anyway so you think great um you know onwards <laughs> you because attention spans these days are, are worse and worse and worse so yeah we've got to try and um yeah pander to that is there any speaker that stands out for you, kind of head and shoulders uh, above the rest? I'll, I'll share with you who stood out for me, but I, I want to hear, like, who's <laughs> who's the one? Is there one? Or, yeah, no, at the risk of question. not offending um, <laughs> other speakers. We, 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 yeah, I've had a few repeat speakers. Um, I mean, for me, it's Rory Sutherland. Um, I mean, he's an absolute wonder. He's an absolute wonder. Uh, it's very rare that, you know, someone that writes very well and also speaks very well. Um, Nick Murray writes very well, but doesn't quite speak at the same level he writes, if that makes sense. Whereas Rory is just just so articulate on the fly. It's unbelievable. Um, and he's an absolute professional. And when he f- first spoke at home, I sort of told his story a few times, he was on at, let's say, half four. And I'm frantically looking around for him. Um, he rides at, I don't know, quarter past four. I think he's cutting it a bit fine here, Rory. Anyway, uh, you know, managing talent. This is it. Speakers. Whew. Anyway, so I say, yep, yeah, I'm Andy. I'm the host, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He says, oh, Andy, just, 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 just before you go. He said, is it a fireside chat or a keynote? This is 15 minutes before he's going on. You know, most people, if you told them, oh, it's a keynote, fireside, you know, they'd, they'd be, they'd be flapping about. And I said, no, no, I said, no, no, it's definitely not a fireside chat. I'm, you know, it, it's a keynote. He said, oh, okay, yep, yeah, fine, How fine, fine. How stressed were you at that point? Sorry? How stressed were you at that I know, point? I know, I was thinking, this guy doesn't even know what he's doing here. Anyway, then he went up and did a, a superb 45 minutes keynote. Um, it was just absolutely fantastic. I think he's got the highest rated. Oh, yeah, we also, um, at the, after the event, we get everybody to rate the speakers. And and surprise, surprise, we get them to rate them out of 10. You know, why would you want to rate a speaker? Like, good, very good, quite average. You know, it's just ridiculous. So we've got MI for every speaker. Uh, and the average score for most speakers in the, the, the entire history of HUM, I think it, it's close to 8. Like, let's say it's like 7.8, 7.9, which is incredible, you know, considering we've had about 150 speakers. So the standard is... um is very high. I think the speakers, certainly financial professionals, they really, really prepare for it because they're speaking to their peers, which a lot of people, um, they find that quite fearful speaking to their peers, um, whereas I've sort of always been doing it. Um, but you are vulnerable on stage, you know, you're you're speaking out and sometimes you're, you're taking a few bullets, um, but it's uh, a lot of fun as well when you, uh, when you get it right. So, um, so yeah, that's the sort of story of hum. Um, I've sold out London six months before we're, 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 we're before the mic off. Uh, that's on the 9th of November. So next year, I think I'm going to have to find a bigger venue and go for 500, which is very scary. Um, going to be very expensive, very risky, but hopefully I can pull it off. So, um, but yeah, if you sell out a conference six months before at 330, then it sort of seems like you're, you're, you've got to go to the next level, haven't you? Either too cheap or you're doing something valuable. <laughs> For me, it was Abraham Akusanya that was in Cape Town and he just blew me away with his energy. I don't yeah. think I've ever experienced uh, a speaker with so much energy. And I can remember like how amped I was after, after just listening to him. You want to get up and jump around. So it's yeah, no, he is brilliant. He is brilliant. I remember when Abraham first, I think I was at his first public speaking gig. He did a gig. He did it like a talk at 
um, like a training event I was running. Uh, obviously, he's very unique in how he speaks and delivers, but you know, we were thinking, God, what, like, we need to take this guy aside and say, look, there's ways you do things, there's ways you don't do things. You know, we needed to give him some training, let's say, but we would have ruined him. You know, if he goes on a public speaking course or me, like, you know, we're rough around the edges. That's what people like. You know, when it, when it's too polished, it's like, oh, you know, you need to, <laughs> you know, downgrade the polishness. So yeah, uh, at first we were thinking, God, this guy is, crazy you can't be doing any more public speaking but he gets top speaker in a lot of events that he talks at um so yeah if we gave him some training we would have ruined him um so yeah that's a quite an interesting story of Abraham. back to seth godin right if you're remarkable and you stand out from the crowd and you find something that works for you you can make it a success like don't try and take that away but rather amplify yeah, it. i think it's another seth godin you want to be a category of one um which is, uh, yeah, so he gets you thinking like this, uh, yeah, being unique, um, telling your own story. Um, yeah, Abraham's a great speaker. Um, uh, I haven't seen him talk for a while, but um, I'm sure he's got some new content uh, kicking about. Can we talk a bit about Trap and, you know, this business of creating content, uh, sharing ideas around what we can do in our practices, yet there's so much information out there like, how do we pick what we actually implement and how do we get that, that accountability? It's something we spoke a little bit about beforehand, but you were telling me that advisor firms were getting together, working through the content. Like, how do they get to actually implement some of these things? Like, or are these businesses that are naturally curious and want to see what happens when we actually do something? Like, is there a recipe for businesses that are doing things well versus ones that are failing to implement? It, 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 I think it's a Manish Pabrai thing that I've picked up about cloning. Um, <clears throat> humans are generally very bad at cloning. Some people are very good at it. You know, and you say, look, this is what I do. This is the letter I send. This is when I send it. It works really well. Good cloners go, we're going to do that. Whereas the overthinkers go, okay, maybe we'll send the letter two days later and we'll follow up with an email and we'll charge them. And you go, no, 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 you're not listening to me. I've told you the format. (laughs) I've told you it's working and do it. Um, So if you're a good cloner, you'll do very well in this business because no ideas are totally new. I mean, yes, they're sort of overally packaged as sort of something that's unique, but most things have been done before in this business. So, Trap, um, it, it's, uh, it's sort of a, yeah, it stands for the Real Advisor podcast. It's every two weeks. Uh, the good thing is Nick Lincoln does most of the preparation and the editing and the uploading. Um, he sort of, um, uh, enjoys that side of it. Um, so he's our sort of chairman. So it's quite good. I just rock up every two weeks for two hours. So it's not that much time uh, but it's doing really really well i mean we think we've got listeners all over the world the numbers are ratcheting up and we've got we've got concentrated dedicated listeners so if we have a thousand downloads of a new episode i'm pretty sure a thousand people have listened to it um and also we've we, we've got it on youtube so that there's a video version yeah we've heard all things about it you know uh certain episodes are essential listening for new recruits certain episodes are certain things for uh, marketing departments and we have heard that firms like six ten twelve people on a certain day sit in a boardroom and listen to it and watch it and pause it and then discuss all the points and say can we do that can we not do that what about this so talk about uh an awesome 
free, you know, it's like four consultants, uh, all four of us, because we're all practicing financial advisors, hence the Real Advisor podcast. You know, lots and lots of people tell us how to do our job. And a lot of consultants, they they go into great firms, the firms tell them the great things that they're doing, and then they go to the next firm and tell them the great things that they should be doing. Well, all they've done is just taking it from a great financial advice firm. I'm obviously being a little bit harsher on consultants, but you you, you understand what, what I'm saying. So people like to hear from practicing financial advisors. Uh, there's me, who's a solo advisor, Nick Lincoln, who's a solo advisor, Alan Smith, that runs quite a big business, Capital Asset Management, and uh, Carl Widger, who runs uh, Metis Island. So we've got different perspectives um we're all sort of different ages been in the business at different time um yeah we challenge each other and push back on it on each other but it's also quite light-hearted and fun um yeah we play like random jingles and stuff so it's uh yeah obviously it's a serious matter but we've uh we've tried to um yeah make it a little bit more enjoyable we said financial planning can't be fun right we can we can have a bit of fun this doesn't have to be such an overly serious uh profession i like what you said about cloning some people are really good at it what i've seen and i know this is some of the training you've also been through like someone like the george kinder work like the actual the impact on some of those questions is the specific words that they use and they use that for a reason it's not like like, i've seen people kind of copy and paste and change the the three questions over and over again with uh less than half of the impact is that what you mean is like don't try and and change too much because you're taking away the impact as i say um some people can clone well some people can't and when you tell them this is what I do in this order. They like to tinker and tweak. And it's like, you're asking me because you think I, my opinion is um, valuable compared to yours. And I'm telling you the answer and then you're deciding to sort of go off piste. Um, you know these sort of people. You know, you've got friends and family that, you know, they say, I mean, what did I, I was looking for a childminder for my kids as an example. Uh, the other thing as well, financial advisors, they'll say, yo, go and see Andy. And then the person comes to you as a referral and they say, oh, you've been looking after my mother, brother, best friend for 15 years. And then they'll say, oh, I still want to get some references from existing clients. And you're like, do you not trust the person that's been, I've been looking after for 15 years? So, I, and they say, oh, no, but it's quite serious when you're going get, to get a financial advisor. You need to like get references. Just trust the other person that's done all the, sort of sifting out through so I had to find a childminder for my kids and I've got a friend of mine um won't mention her name anyway she's very very um thorough in her you know uh assessments of people or whatever and she said she's been using this childminder for all three of her kids for the last whatever I've got no questions to ask this childminder she's done everything I'm like here they are there's the two of them where do I sign She's, she was like, do you want to read the contract? No, no, I'm just going to sign and here's my kids. Because um, this person has done way more research than I'm going to do and I'm trusting her, done, you know, sorted. When some, If I ask someone I respect, you know, a good, you know, painter and they say, yep, call this person, I'm going to immediately call them. I'm not, not then going to say, oh, can you give me some quotes and, do, you know, just trust other people's judgments. Um that's sort of a tangent of cloning, but yeah, just get quite good at cloning. If someone tells you a good idea, just implement it as such. Later on, you might might tweak it once you've become an expert in that idea. 
But if, like, when I do training, I said, just, just do this. I've been doing it for 12 years. Just follow exactly what I'm going to tell you. In a year, you may be able to tweak it, but don't tweak before you've learned the way I'm going to tell you. Um, and a lot of people do that. They're like, five years later, they say, oh, I've not changed it, Andy, since you told me. And I'm like, brilliant. This is good. Whereas other people are like, oh, yeah, we, we did that five years ago, and then we did this, and, and then they're in a mess. And I'm like, well, now you've ruined all this. You know, because they don't understand the impact of the tweaks uh, and changes. Anyway, yeah, cl- cloning is... um. Yeah, Manish Pabrai talks about it. Um, I didn't really think it was a thing until I, I, I heard it. Um, yeah, but most people's cloning muscle is very weak. Um, whereas other people, they're brilliant cloners. Um, uh, Buffett talks about it as well, I think. Uh, probably Munger talks about it as well. Um, yeah, anyway. So do you say, like, hire someone in your business that's great at cloning? Like, get a, get an outsourced person in your business that could clone that? Or is it a skill that you, as an advisor, need? Is it critical for delivering advice? Um, well, again, it's like your investment proposition, like speak to someone who, you know, has done a lot of thought into it and has got an answer. Um, I don't think you need to specifically employ someone who's very good at cloning, but yeah, it's just something to be aware of when someone gives you a good idea that's like perfectly packaged, just embrace it. Um, if you need to, and it's important for whatever you're doing, don't tinker and change things that are perfectly packaged i suppose you know good cloners because they, they they build a business on the back of just loads of stuff that they've heard and they stick to it you know they're not always looking for new shiny stuff andy what does the future hold for you is there there any new ventures that you're adding on anything you're taking away like uh, no i think i'm going to stick with what I currently have, as I say, I'm going to be um, a practicing financial advisor. Um, and uh, yeah, the main thing really is building out Humans Under Management Premium, which is our subscription service for global financial advisors. As I said, we've got about 200 members now from 11 different countries. Yeah, that's going to be my sort of uh, biggest uh, impact, I suppose, to, to, to the wider profession. Um, yeah, going to continue... Um, doing what I've been doing, really. Um, as they say, we're just getting started. Um, so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fun journey. It's wonderful to see from the outside and, and hear a little bit from the inside of this journey. I wish you all of the success in the future. Like, I hope Hum Premium and Hum replicates across the globe. And, yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Any, any pulls of wisdom no worries, you want to leave our listeners with? Um, no, if anyone wants to reach out, um, you can email me, Andy at humansundermanagement.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Maven Advisor, uh, and also on LinkedIn. But, um, yeah, or also check out my podcast, Maven Money, that is for end consumers, but also, uh, quite a lot of financial professionals listen to it as well. So, yeah, no, thank you very much for having me on, mate. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll see you in SA soon. It's been great fun. See you soon. <laughs>